From Washington, D.C., the swamp itself, this is the week's worst with Alan and Veda. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen, Vice President and Chief Investigative Officer of the Capitol Research Center. And I'm Matthew Vadim, Senior Vice President and Editor-in-Chief of BombThrowers.com. And I'm Jake Klein, Media Producer at the Capital Research Center, and I'll be moderating this podcast in which we dig through the news for stories that we think are the most outrageous, the most ridiculous, the worst. But actually, I think this is going to be an interesting episode. That's our intro. But I think this is going to be the week's best because we have two projects that we just put out this week at the Capital Research Center that we are very, very proud of. Uh, we just had a short film called America Under Siege, Soviet Islam, which we'll dig a little bit into. Uh, and then we'll take a quick break. Our president, Scott Walter, will come on the show. And uh, he will talk an about another project called climatedollars.org. Uh, so first, America Under Siege, Soviet Islam. This is the second film in our America Under Siege series, uh, starring conservative author Trevor Loudon, in which we look at the hidden uh, secret Marxist influence uh, in America. And so for this one, what we looked at was how the Soviet Union has a history of advancing uh, Islamists and dictators in the Middle East and how in modern times Russia has continued those tactics and uh, now uh, Muslim Brotherhood organizations and individuals that were originally backed by Russia have propagated in the United States, uh, trying to subvert our political system domestically. This just went live online. You can view it at dangerousdocumentaries.com or our main site at capitalresearch.org. Uh, Matthew, you're an executive producer on the film. You want to tell us a little, uh, a little bit about it? Sure. Um, a lot of people don't know about the deep uh, links between uh, Russia and modern-day Islamism. In other words, the Islamic International Islamic Terrorist Network. But Trevor Loudon, our star and narrator, uh, in this uh, new segment of our, our five-part documentary series from the America Under Siege uh, web series, uh, demonstrates how far back they go. The Soviet Union, uh, back when it still existed, before the, I, the Berlin Wall fell, uh, when was that, 1989, 1990 or so? And then the Soviet Union collapsed on Christmas Day, 1991. Uh, I believe they they had their tentacles deep into um, the Islamic world because they wanted to control it. They w were first off they wanted to diffuse it. They wanted to remove it as a threat to the power of the emerging Soviet Empire, um, the various Stan countries around it: Tajikistan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, uh, and so on, uh, that were Muslim majority countries. And they wanted to use, they wanted to take the, uh, those countries and use them in their fight to advance um, their empire, the Russian, uh, the Soviet, and then later Russian uh, empire of Vladimir uh, Putin. And um, they have uh, co-opted, I guess you could say, uh, the uh, mosques, the Islamic uh, religion, uh, and are using it to advance Putin's goals. Uh, for example, in, the, in this part of the documentary, we look at um, Chechnya, which was a foe 
of the uh, of uh, of Russia. Uh, they used to kill uh, Russians uh, regularly in terrorist attacks. You may have heard about that horrible incident a few years ago at a, uh, I think it was at a, a middle school or an elementary school where uh, Chechen Muslim insurgents slaughtered a lot of um, uh, of the Russian school children there. Uh, but Russia figured a way to turn that around, and so they have co-opted the leadership in Chechnya. Uh, and and gotten them to be loyal to Moscow, while at the same time they are still fervent, or at least apparently fervent Muslims. Um, we do show us a speech of the head of the government in Chechnya uh, in the documentary, uh, talking about the importance of, of of loyalty to Moscow, and then shouting Allah Akbar. Not something you expect. Not two phrases, two sent- sentiments that you expect to be grouped uh, in. Uh, you know, in, in an Eastern European or a Eurasian leader's um, uh, harangue before uh, before masses in his own country. Um, they This grouping, these Russians and the Muslims, they have a shared goal, and that is bringing down the United States. And so it, it makes sense that they should be aligned with each other. Uh, we draw upon in the documentary the quote of uh, the great uh, imprisoned terrorist Carlos the Jackal, also known as Ilyich Ramirez Sanchez, who a lot of people don't know actually converted to Islam uh, later in his life uh, and saw it as perfectly compatible with his terrorist activities. He said that the only way you bring down the United States is through a coalition of, of Marxists and Islamists. That's the only way you can de- destroy the United States. And so he is like the living personification um, of that kind of thinking. And you have seen uh, uh, Muslims with uh, uh, ties to Russia uh, being active in this country. The two brothers from Dagestan, the Sarnia brothers, who bombed the, uh, the Boston Marathon with deadly results a couple of years ago. They were from a place that's under under the, from a Muslim uh, country that's uh, or at least a largely Muslim country that's under the influence that's within the Russian sphere of influence. So this sort of thing really is everywhere, and it has been starting to hit home uh, in the United States. Uh, although people in the rest of the world have been have been painfully aware of it for some time. Yeah, this is something that people call the uh, the Red Green Coalition, and of course. Colors get used in lots of different ways in politics, and uh, uh, so you have to explain sometimes when you when you use that terminology. Uh, red referring to the, of course, the traditional color of uh, communism, and uh, the green referring to the traditional color of Islam, and how in in many places around the world, going back to Yasser Arafat, who is perhaps uh, for uh, the my generation the most famous worldwide terrorist. Uh, who, of course, ended up as head of the Palestinian Authority, uh, that uh, he was a, uh, he was believed to be a KGB agent uh, trained by the trained by the Soviets, uh, the the Russians, and uh, and you go forward from there, and you find, uh, for example, Lynn Stewart, who's uh, one of the very few uh, non-Muslims who's been convicted of aiding the activities of the Islamofascists. It was the lawyer Peace for... Peace be upon her black little heart. Yes, uh, recently passed away. Uh, and uh, she uh, was the lawyer for the blind sheikh, who also recently passed away, who was involved in the Landmarks plot in uh, in New York, which was uh, basically an attempt to do 9-11 before 9-11. 
and he also was the spiritual leader of Al-Qaeda. And uh, here she was representing him. She got convicted of helping him in his terrorist activities. Uh, and she was a Marxist. Uh, she was a sidekick of William Kunstler, the famous radical attorney. Um, when uh, they uh, initially tried to sentence her and give her a, a slap on the wrist, uh, the judge uh, remarked on all the wonderful things she had done for society, referring essentially to many of her uh, Marxist-related activities. Uh, and so you know, that seems like a strange uh, combination, a strange coalition, and yet you see that pop up all over the place. It's only strange to people in the United States because we tend to think of those as being two separate uh, uh, spheres, uh, the world of communism and now uh, Putinism uh, on the one hand and the uh, the world of uh, radical Islam uh, on the other, but they're really, they've been together uh, all along. I, I worked, uh, I was the press secretary for Jeremiah Denton, who was the senator uh, who had the first investigation by the U.S. Senate uh, in 1981 of the uh, International Terrorist Network. And folks like the New York Times kept saying that we were crazy for saying that the terrorists all communicated with each other and that they, even the, the Irish, for example, were working with the uh, Palestinians and, and so on. And yet that absolutely was the case and is now considered part of the historical record and is just something that everybody knows. Uh, but at the time, the, uh, the establishment media thought that was, uh, that was crazy. And they sort of do the same thing today whenever you bring up the ties between uh, the radical left uh, and the um, and the uh, Islamofascists, uh, they'll they'll do the same thing. I remember there was a member of Parliament, uh, Galloway, uh, who, George Galloway of the of the strangely named Respect Party, except that he had been a, a Labor Party member, which is the I guess the counterpart to the Democratic Party uh, in the United States, and was thrown out because of his uh, radical far out views, uh, and then got back into parliament as the and leader of his sedition as well. Exactly. And got back into parliament as a, uh, as the candidate of uh, a coalition of the radical left, uh, traditional radical left and the Islamofascists. So, uh, you see this pattern over and over and over again. And maybe this is a good time to flex our anti-Russian credentials because <laughs> we've been talking a lot, uh, on this podcast in the last bunch of weeks about how we think this, uh, uh, you know, Donald Trump ties to Russia story is all bogus. And so maybe this is a good time to make really, really clear, you know, that can be bogus uh, or at least misleading. And at the same time, we can consider Russia uh, a really bad actor that we need to be watching out about. Yeah, I, we have a picture of me from a few years ago at a uh, an anti-Putin uh, demonstration, uh, and uh, that was in one of the local uh, one of the or at least taken for one of the local papers here in uh, in Washington. You know, it's uh, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, Putin's a terrible guy. He 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 combines uh, the background with the KGB. Uh, with his uh, the um, uh, his ties to the Russian mafia, of course, he was the equivalent, I guess, of city manager uh, in Saint Petersburg, which is the, the 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 head of the the headquarters of the worst branch of the Russian mafia. If you can be war, if you can be the worst branch of something as terrible as the Russian mafia, uh, which itself is one of the worst criminal organizations in the world, uh, and he's stolen. Oh, I've seen estimates twenty billion dollars and up just personally stolen that. Uh, you know, it's horrible, horrible person. 
Um, but that's separate from the question of whether uh, this uh, crazy conspiracy theory about Donald Trump is is true. Uh, what we need to look, and, and in fact, I've often pointed out the most pro-Russian government that we've had in the United States uh, uh, probably was uh, the Obama administration, uh, and they were passing, you know, putting forth one policy after another that was uh, to the benefit of the of the Russians, including when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, and she strongly supported those policies. Uh, so yeah, there's there's You're a talking lot more. about the Russian overture. Yeah, over uh, the button that said overcharged, uh, but uh, she thought it said reset. Uh, but going from that, to obviously taking down the uh, missile defense uh, plans in uh, Eastern Europe, uh, the question of fracking, where they were, uh, the Obama administration was generally opposed to fracking and did things to uh, throw roadblocks in front of it, where that's one of the top goals of Putin is to stop fracking because that makes other countries uh, not dependent on Russian uh, oil and gas. So, you know, you, and we could we could go down that path and I'm sure we'll talk about that some more. But uh, but it's absolutely true that uh, you know Putin is uh, has ties to these uh, to these Islamist fascist groups. Can I just get in a word about the um, the star, uh, the narrator of um, uh, of uh, this Soviet? Yeah, Islam. I was just going to ask. You know, you've been working with Trevor for a long time. He's he is so well read and so researched on all of these people. How did you get to know Trevor, and and what do you want to tell us about his work? Well, what I want Trevor, I think was originally a baker by profession in New Zealand, uh, but he, he had long been interested in radical politics uh, from a libertarian slash conservative perspective, and he started researching them a long time ago, and, and it, it eventually took over his life. It turned into his new, his, uh, his new calling, and so he started up a website called KeyWiki.org and his website, uh, TrevorLoudon.com. And uh, KeyWiki.org is, an, is, a, is a, an encyclopedia focused just on, on, uh, on politics, just with a particular focus on the radical left. Now, Trevor's, um, uh, as a New Zealander, his thinking has long been that uh, if... Um, America is no longer there as the dominant power in the world. Um, all free countries uh, will will cease eventually. And he felt this most acutely as a New Zealander once China started trolling the New Zealand um, uh, Navy and started flexing its muscles um, uh, in uh, in Oceania uh, and in those uh, waters there. Uh, letting letting those countries, uh, New Zealand and Australia and uh, and the various other countries around there, know that they're in, in the, they better get used to China being the new boss because it's coming, and that's a scary thing. Knowing how China operates, what a, a nasty totalitarian uh, hellhole it is. Anyway, Trevor grew very interested in this uh, this kind of thing. Uh, I first met him, I think, just uh, around the time Obama was either becoming president or had just become president. He had the he had the goods on on Barack Obama years before anybody else did. He had already compiled a dossier on him, a research dossier on uh, on Barack Obama's involvement in the New Party in Illinois. The New Party was a neo-Marxist party that all the cool commies joined in Illinois. Uh, he knew about Obama and Acorn. He knew about uh, Obama and uh, Frank Marshall Davis and Obama's ties to um, his doctor friend, Quentin Crisp, who uh, was a big uh, proponent of, of single-payer medicine. 
uh, and the various other Communist Party operatives. So Trevor turned a hobby uh, uh, into into a job, and uh, now he fancies himself uh, as as uh, he sometimes uh, tongue in cheek calls himself the Red Hunter, and quite appropriately. <laughs> Because he does hunt commies for a living, this so to speak, figurative, figuratively, this is what he does, uh, and he's a very interesting, uh, unique guy, and he loves America with the zeal of an immigrant, um, uh, because he believes in this country uh, in a way that, in a way that not a lot of Americans, sadly, actually believe in this country, and uh, he he wants America to prosper and to be free. And in order to be free, uh, we have to uh, curb the influence of, of radicals, like those supported by Vladimir Putin's government, uh, like uh, by communists and by Islamists who want to um, uh, make America a Sharia-compliant Sharia country where we're afraid to speak out about abuses like, like female genital mutilation and things like that, which have been recently uncovered in, Michi- in, the, in, the, in the state of Michigan, They've been practicing it on, um, there's a secret network that were actually mutilating uh, baby girls. And, yeah, the uh, FBI estimated people... like 500,000 cases in the United States. In right, the United and, States. Right, that's, that, right, this is the United States where we're supposed to be beyond that kind of thing. Anyway, Trevor has been at the forefront of exposing this kind of thing for, for decades, and we are so happy that we got to work with him on this documentary series um, I, I thought the first part, which was about the J-20, the, the inauguration di- disruptors, uh, Civil War 2017 was the name of the first episode of the, in the America Under Siege series. I think the second one is even better, and uh, uh, it's, it's, really a, it's really compelling to watch, uh, even though I'm only in it for about 30 seconds. <laughs> and, and I recommend— that, I was able to fast-forward through that part. <laughs> right, and you could do that. And Steve's not in it at all, and, and that may relieve some people. But anyway, <laughs> despite these these problems or or benefits, it's 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 really good, and I, I heartily recommend that people read it, uh, uh, that people watch it, and I can't wait for the third, fourth, and fifth installments to come out uh, later this year. One last time, you can watch uh, both episodes of the America Under Siege series, Soviet Islam and Civil War 2017, at dangerousdocumentaries.com or capitalresearch.org. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk about our other major project this week, climatedollars.org. Welcome back. I'm Scott Walter, president of the Capital Research Center, and I'm excited to talk about a major new project of ours. Uh, Find out all about it at climatedollars.org. It showcases the work of our uh, Dr. Stephen Allen, who shreds one of the big myths connected to the climate change debate that there's a billion dollars a year spent to deny climate change. Steve, can you fill us in? Yeah, this comes from a, a, a study done in in 2014 by a, a, a sociologist, uh, Robert Brule, at uh, Drexel University. And uh, he, he, he claimed to have found a deliberate and organized effort to misdirect the public discussion and distort the public's understanding of climate change. And the way he went about this was he went to through these organizations, 91 organizations, that he saw as being involved in this effort to deny 
uh, climate change, and he added up the, the budgets of these organizations. Uh, this led to a figure that was uh, just over $900 million annually supposedly spent, and, uh, and then the media, of course, being the media, they immediately exaggerated it to a billion dollars for headline purposes. So we get this myth that a billion dollars is being spent uh, on this project to deny climate change. Now, what they actually did was, uh, it, what, what he actually looked at was the entire budgets of these organizations. So, for example, the Intermountain Rural Electric Association, well, which provides uh, electricity to people in Colorado, uh, and has a roughly, I think, $250 million a year budget as of the time he did this study, uh, their, their entire budget is counted as being uh, climate change denial money. Uh, totally ridiculous. Uh, in fact, uh, their, their only connection was that they had given at one point a $100,000 grant, which was 120th of 1% of their budget for that year, I think, uh, to a fellow who is a, a well-known, well-respected uh, climatologist and uh, who is a skeptic on this issue. Other than that, uh, that's it. So their entire budget is counted. Heritage Foundation uh, deals with dozens and dozens of issues. Entire budget is counted. Cato Institute, Libertarian Think Tank, dozens of, uh, dozens of issues. Entire budget is counted. And uh, Cham U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Uh, so, so what you find is that uh, these organizations, which perhaps spent in some cases, uh, there, there are some organizations that spend a lot on, uh, on issues related to, to global warming or climate change, maybe 20, 30 percent. But then there are others that spend basically no money, and yet they're included. And we just get down into the weeds and we tear this thing apart. And we show the mistakes that are made. And, and uh, you know, that, that uh, this professor uh, who made this study, who put this study together, uh, he himself has been critical of another academic who was doing that sort of thing, taking the entire budget of organizations and throwing it into the pot and saying that that's the, uh, that's the budget for everybody on that side of the issue. I compared it to uh, taking the combined income of every Democrat in America and, and saying that that's the budget of the Democratic Party. And that's essentially what they're doing. Uh, and, uh, and this is a powerful myth. It's a myth that is leading uh, people like Senator Sheldon Whitehouse to suggest that people who are skeptics on the global warming issue should be uh, prosecuted, should be put in jail under RICO, uh, you know, the, the anti-mafia law. Uh, and, uh, and that's all because of this massive conspiracy theory. Well, thanks, Steve. And I should add that... Uh Folks who want to hear more about this can look in this morning's Wall Street Journal. Steve has uh, an excellent op-ed explaining some of this there. Uh, I want to add, too, in the interest of full disclosure, that we at the Capital Research Center are included in this, uh, the bogus study about the climate denial uh, funding. And just to give you, we're a classic example. I went and carefully checked over all the years that... Uh, that uh, the sociologists studied, 2003 to 2010, in none of those years did we spend even 10% of our budget on climate change issues, and, nor did we receive grants uh, related to climate change that were remotely close to 10% of our budget for any year. Uh, and yet, of course, every single year, 100% of our budget was counted uh, as part of this a terrible denial uh, conspiracy. Uh, the other thing I would say is that, you know, you, you Steve, you mentioned it's a 2014 study, and uh, if it were still back in 2014 and forgotten, that'd be one thing, but as our website, climatedollars.org, shows, there are hundreds of citations 
in both popular media and scholarly journals uh, that reference this uh, tissue of lies. And also one of my own favorite uh, fake news providers, uh, Jane Meyer of The New Yorker and her big book, Dark Money, The Hidden History of the Billionaires Behind the Rise of the Radical Right, uh, which was a New York Times book of the year last year. Uh, she got half a dozen pages out of this uh, wretched study. And just a few weeks ago, The Economist, very respected centrist magazine, uh, cited it in a big study on philanthropy. Uh, so, Steve, was there anything else uh, that was particularly surprising uh, to you in your research there, or do you want to tell folks about any of the other features they can find at climatedollars.org? Well, it, it's fun to go through these, uh, go through the budgets of these organizations and see what was uh, considered as as, as spending, uh, having to do with uh, climate denial. Most of these groups, many of them, don't even take a position on the issue. It, it, you might have an organization, for example, that opposes cap and trade. Uh, or opposes a carbon tax, uh, which is essentially another form of, of, of cap and trade, uh, and that it, it opposes those because they think that they're taxes and that they're big taxes and that they're bad for the economy. So if an organization thinks that raising taxes is bad for the economy, then that organization gets counted as a climate denier organization. Uh, essentially, any policy that is proposed and is given the uh, excuse Oh, well, this will improve the uh, our situation regarding the climate. Then that that uh, that policy, if you oppose it, you're a denier. Even if it has, you know, if it's if you oppose it because it gives away American sovereignty to uh, an international body like the United Nations. If if you oppose it for that reason, well, you're a climate denier. No matter what uh, the reason is, if you expose if you oppose the expansion of federal lands because you think that the federal government already has too much land, and you think that local people in very states around the country should have control of that land, well, then you're a climate denier. Everybody's a climate denier. That's what they have to do to create this massive conspiracy. And as I've said before, there are real conspiracies now. There, the Lincoln assassination was a conspiracy, and the, uh, the you've had uh, the gunpowder plot was a conspiracy. There are real conspiracies. But then there are also fake conspiracies, like that the CIA killed JFK, or the international Jewish conspiracy, or other conspiracies. And this is, this is on the fake side. One, one example that I like is that uh, Eric Schneiderman, the, the attorney general in New York, joined with 16 other attorneys general uh, from states and territories and, um, and, and attempted an, an effort to, uh, to sue and say that ExxonMobil was coordinating this climate denial effort. ExxonMobil hasn't even been on that side of the issue for years. In fact, uh, they announced a few years ago that they were going to cut off some organizations. I believe we were one of them that, that ended up being cut off from a little bit of money that we were getting from them. This was before I came to CRC. But, but, but the reason was that CRC refused to lie about the climate issue, refused to say that the, um, uh, the position of the Obama administration and people like that, uh, that that was uh, the correct position. Uh, we've been critics. We've pointed to the science. I've attended meetings, meeting after meeting, with geophysicists and, and uh, meteorologists and climatologists and other top scientists who tell me that this stuff is nonsense. Uh, and because of that, I'm a denier uh, because I take the side of being in favor of science. And, uh, and here, ExxonMobil. By the way, ExxonMobil's shift on, posi on the position by an incredible coincidence, coincided roughly with their purchase of the largest natural gas company in America. And of course, 
some of the people who are making money potentially off of global warming theory, climate change theory, are natural gas producers because the idea is that you would shift away from coal, for example, to natural gas. Of course, then they'll go after the natural gas people and try to shut them down as well. But the natural gas people, they think that they can make a lot of money off of this. And that's why, in my opinion, that's why ExxonMobil shifted its position. So so there are evil corporations out there doing, you know, taking policy positions for the wrong reasons. But they're not the ones who are trying to stop people from believing in this wacky uh, conspiracy theory about global warming. Well, Steve, what about the—you've uh, been talking about the, the uh, climate skeptic side of this debate, uh, and you, you've explained a lot about the funding for that side. But uh, can you tell us a little bit about the funding uh, for the climate alarmist side? Well, there are literally thousands of organizations that promote global warming beliefs. Um, easily, uh, you know, when, and we're doing we're doing research. We're going to give you a tally of uh, eventually of how much that they spend in a given year. Uh, but that's a study to be to come later. Uh, it's other estimates have been you know billion and a half dollars. So even more than the the number that was claimed uh, wrongly from um, from the uh, from the Brule study on the skeptic side, uh, money that's spent to promote global warming theory, but, but beyond, beyond what's spent by um, uh, activist organizations is money that's spent by people who make money off of this, uh, people in the wind business, people in the solar business. The wind and solar are two businesses that could not exist in the current form uh, except for subsidies and mandates, uh, putting the burden on uh, taxpayers and ratepayers uh, to the tune of billions and billions and billions of dollars. So they're out there promoting this stuff. And of course, all the news media, you know, that they, they somehow get the idea that this is, uh, this is science to say things that are nonsensical, uh, such as that the Earth's climate has been stable for thousands of years up until mankind ruined it with, uh, with uh, the fossil fuels being used and that that caused climate change. In fact, of course, the Earth's climate has varied uh, significantly. Civilizations have risen and fallen uh, many times over the last uh, 10,000 years or so since the, uh, since the uh, height of, the last of this ice age. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just nonsense. But uh, it's the accepted view in the news media. And then you have the government. Which, what did we calculate that the government, uh, let me see, get the figure here, uh, that uh, from 1993 to 2014, federal expenditures uh, that assume the dangers of climate change cost $166 billion in, uh, in constant dollars, in 2012 dollars. Uh, so the government, every single government agency under the Obama administration had a, an office that was promoting a belief in global warming theory. So you had this tremendous pressure on one side and very little resources on the other because there aren't that many people who have a uh, financial stake in, in really in fighting global warming theory. As I say, even the big oil companies have bought into this. They figured out a way to make money off of it. So where's the money coming from? It's uh, people on my side of the fence are greatly outnumbered financially. And, and um, it's a situation where, uh, you know, we, 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 we win and we're winning. And I think uh, in the court of public opinion, uh, at least uh, we're fight we fought them to a draw, but I think, I think we're winning. Because the science is there, because the satellite measurements show, excuse me, satellite measurements show that um, there hasn't been global warming in 18 years. Uh, and uh, once you see that, once you see that this is a pattern consistent with history, it's happened several times. The biggest global warming was the 1930s, which was before humans could have had a significant impact on the environment in that way. 
uh, that uh, people will will continue to believe that uh, you know maybe the fact that uh, one twenty five hundredth of the atmosphere is carbon dioxide, a harmless invisible gas that well not only harmless, absolutely necessary for the existence of life on Earth. Uh, that maybe uh, maybe that's not what's causing the problems in our in our world. Thanks, Steve. I would add uh, for anybody who wants to learn more, uh, Steve has recorded a couple of terrific short videos that you can also find at climatedollars.org. Uh, and that is our show for this week. We'll be back next week, and we hope you'll join us. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, you can also follow us on social media at Capital Research Center on Facebook and YouTube and uh, at Capital Research on Twitter. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen. And I'm Matthew Vadum. And I'm Scott Walter. Thanks for listening.